I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Calling Miyoko Shina the queen of vegan cheese somehow doesn't seem like a high enough compliment for the work she has done in the food space. As an entrepreneur, Miyoko has had her fair share of ups and downs and success and failure, but through it all, she's been relentless. Miyoko developed a love for cooking using whole natural ingredients at a young age, and that passion for creating delicious, healthful foods has defined most of her career. In her 20s, Miyoko found herself in Tokyo, in the midst of the rise of French cuisine in that country. She taught herself how to recreate some of the most indulgent, decadent foods with vegan ingredients and decided to open a bakery. Her young business was just getting started and was seeing success when she was unknowingly approached by an investor who later turned out to be a member of the Japanese mafia. She obviously turned down his offer and demands and ended up moving to San Francisco where she tried her hand at opening a vegan bakery yet again. The small bakery she started quickly transformed into a restaurant called Now and Zen. One of the most famous dishes on the menu of that restaurant was the unturkey, a seitan roast covered in crispy yuba. It was so popular that she brought it to the natural products trade show and business exploded. To meet the demand for this product, she had to sell her restaurant and turn it into a food manufacturing business. But she was faced with another bump in the road when holiday season ran out and demand slowed down. After a series of struggles, she decided to leave the food space and went to work in real estate. Her love for sharing vegan food was much stronger than the large paycheck she was receiving and in the mid-2000s, she returned to her passion. Miyoko finally hit the right note with her vegan cheese company, Miyoko's Kitchen. It's now one of the most well-known and celebrated plant-based brands. In my interview with Miyoko, we start off by talking about her recent success with Miyoko's Kitchen, as well as the challenges she faced scaling the business. From the simple logistics she wishes she had thought through before diving in, to how to choose the right investor. Miyoko shares the advice she was given and the things she had to find out the hard way. Miyoko wants to change the world with her food. And trust me, if you've tasted it, you know she probably can. I'm here with Miyoko Shinner. Thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So Miyoko, you've had a long and fascinating journey as an entrepreneur, starting in Japan, selling cake and cakes, and then moving to San Francisco, starting a restaurant. Uh, being one of the early pioneers in the meat alternative space. Uh, some people may not know that backstory. Uh, but you've had your ups and downs. You um, did all of that and then gave up uh, being in the food space. Uh, you left it for a while in the early 2000s. And then... Return. I had to get a real job. <laughs> to get a real job. Um, and then return. So I want to start off with uh, what compelled you um, after those experiences, the... the Starts and stops, the ups and downs, what made you, what compelled you to come back to the world of vegan food and cooking? You know, I, it was twofold. One was just a very human journey. It was either now or never. I had turned 50 and it was like, I was looking at the rest of my life. Like, is this it? You know, I was actually now doing real estate, making a lot of money. I was doing well. It was like, but I was just, it was soulless. So that was really one reason. It was like, I, mean, I got one last shot at doing this, at what I believe in, what I'm passionate about. Or, you know, I'm just going to be uh, going to work every day, coming home, watching TV, having a glass of wine, you know, and that's it. And and the other reason was, I really do believe that we're at a critical point in human history. And I, you believe the same too. One Green Planet is all about that. We have an opportunity. We have a critical call right now to do something. And it's if we are, we have any ability whatsoever to change the world, to ensure that we actually have a planet to live on, then it's up to us to do that. We have to, to rise to the challenge. We got to answer that call. And I felt like, okay, it's twofold. I've got to do this. I've got to do this for myself and, and, and for everyone else. So your journey back was largely driven by um, one, you felt like you had one last chance to, 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 to achieve your true life purpose and the things that you were truly passionate about, but you were driven by the bigger mission. Um, and I know when you came back, you started doing um, vegan cooking demos, and then you put out a few cookbooks. Um, so to kind of 
fast forward a little bit and, and see how that evolves to what you're doing now. That's to go from um, being a talented vegan chef or someone who's put out a couple of cookbooks and has done cooking demos and is teaching people how to cook to go from there to launching a food company is a giant leap because you may know how to prepare something amazing and interesting that people want to consume and that tastes great. But to run a company that manufactures food is a whole different ballgame from uh, production, food safety, distribution, supply chain. Uh, yep, all of that. All kinds of stuff, and right? And more. Mm -hmm. How was that leap for you? To be, like when you started off, did you, did you know what you were getting into? Yes and no. I mean, you know, I've done it before, mm -hmm. and, but regulations are much stricter now. Uh, you know, there's much more visibility and scrutiny um, required of companies today than I think, you know, 20 years ago when I had my first uh, meat alternative company. So um, I kind of knew what I was getting into, but I think I was also in denial to some degree. Um, but, you know, just deep inside me, there's always been the itch to be an entrepreneur. Even when I was doing real estate for a short while, I was, I had my own little company. And so, you know, I've never gone to work for anybody. So it was like, I'd written the book of Artisan Vegan Cheese in 2012, and I thought, okay, well, I've done it now. I've shown everyone how to make this. You know, there's no reason to start a company, and I really did not want to start a company. I mean, I've done, it was just a headache. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, it's just like that becomes your whole life, okay. and then you can't go on vacation or, you know, go out and have a cup of coffee with a friend. None of that ever happened. So I was determined not to ever start a company. But within like a year of the book coming out, um, I was like, okay, I got to start. So it just, I don't know what happened, but it just, it just did. Um, but, you know, I, I have to attribute uh, having been encouraged by a couple of key players. So uh, shout out goes to Seth Tibbet of Tofurky. Uh, he encouraged me, um, said he'd be my first investor, and he was. And then Billy Bramlett of uh, Wildwood, uh, one of the founders of Wildwood and now um, uh, Hodo Soy, and, and he was also very encouraging. And, and you know, People like that, when they come out and say, um, hey, you got to do something, you know, you answer that call. Right. And what was your thinking then was you're going to start a company and raise venture capital? Did you did you have this big vision uh, for uh, your company in the beginning? Or was it, I need to create a product and sell it and let's start small and see where it goes from then if it organically grows? In the back of my mind, I want it to be huge because I really do believe that in order to impact uh climate change to reverse it. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to make vegan products or plant-based products, whatever you want to call it. I got my own opinions on that and I'm happy to share that later. But anyway, whatever we want to call it, we need to make that as mainstream as possible, as fast as possible, so we can have the biggest impact possible. We need to replace uh, animal agricultural products, ASAP. And so I wanted it to grow big, but because of my um, you know, the issues I'd had with my last businesses back in the 90s when I think, you know, that the market just wasn't right and mm -hmm. so many other issues as well, too. Um, I didn't want to have that fault. I felt like if I have this hope, you know, it may not come true. So I, I thought, OK, I better start by crawling and then walking and then running. Mm -hmm. So the idea was to start small. Uh, initially, but even starting small today requires capital. So yeah. we, you know, we had a seed round, we raised money, but um, it we should have just planned big from the beginning. Now, looking in retrospect, mm. we should have just built that thirty thousand square foot facility that we're moving into right now. We should have built that thirty years ago. <laughs> right. So you know, back then this was not so long ago. It was uh, twenty thirteen, probably when you That's launched. When we well, it was 2014, actually, mm -hmm. exactly three years ago when we started selling online. Wow, so this and, hasn't yeah. even been that long. No. And yeah. uh, But the world was still very different even three years ago. I feel like, um, you know, cheese has always been, you know, while the dairy industry seems to be facing some issues, it's mostly on the liquid milk side of things. Cheese is still incredibly popular in this country I think about 34 pounds of cheese are consumed on average per person um, every year. Um, and vegan cheese back then was um, sort of unheard of. And that's slightly different. It's only three years, but it's very different now. It's one of the fastest growing sub-segments of the plant-based food it, industry. It's the fastest growing. It uh, is yeah, the According fastest to, the, wow. yeah, recent market research. 
So, and but the thing is, specialty cheese is also rising slightly. Mm-hmm. So there is a focus on more premium products today across the the spectrum. So let's go back to the start of uh, of this company when you were talking to investors. Um, this wasn't a trend back then. Um, how were those conversations? What was your what case did you make to the investors about why it is that they should put their money into a company that's going to focus at least to begin with on um, on gourmet vegan cheese and and then take it from there. What were the questions did you get? What uh, did they, Were they skeptical? No, they were not skeptical. Okay, I had it really easy in the very beginning. I opened my mouth. I served cheese. I said, <laughs> I'm going to start this cheese company and the money came very, very easily. Just like Seth Tibbet encouraged me and Billy Bramlett encouraged me, um, others followed suit. Um, they told other people that this opportunity existed I sent samples of cheese. Uh, you know, that's how we got our or, uh, Obvious Ventures was our first mm-hmm. um, fund, but they were actually not Obvious Ventures at the time. It was Evan, Evan William. Yeah. yeah. And um, someone told me, gave me a contact for Biz Stone. I sent Biz some cheese. Biz sent me an email and said, hey, I think my partner Evan would like to taste some. Can you send him some? I sent him some cheese and he ended up investing. And that rolled into uh, Obvious Ventures, um, with, which he co-founded with a few other people. Um you know, and that's kind of how it went. It was just getting the cheese into people's mouths and making them believe what the possibilities were for this new trend that we were going to start. Wow. And I remember being in California in 2015, uh, probably a year after you started. I'd met with Obvious Ventures around that time um, uh, with some of the partners over there. And then I came over to your facility yep, at that point. I remember, and that was the early days of yeah. uh, of, of your company. And I'm, I'm, it's really so. I guess the what happened after that is something you probably could not have anticipated. Is and if correct me if I'm wrong, but the demand far outstripped your capability to manage um, production. That's that's exactly right. I mean, we've been growing so fast, and and, and you know the the disadvantage of that is you run out of capital a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, it can hurt your margins um, if you're making things in a not very efficient manner because you're maxing out the equipment that you have. Um, you know, you, you're dealing with with personnel issues, trying to get people all the time. Um, and then, of course, you know you're you've got to satisfy retailers and distributors, and if you're short shipping all the time. You know, the so-called fill rates are very, very low. They don't look very kindly on you. Mm. And we are just so blessed that the distributors and retailers have hung in with us uh, while through our our growth uh, challenges. You know, we've it's constantly required communication with them, letting them know where we are, what's going on. Um, so it's not, you know, growing really, really fast seems wonderful to a lot of companies, but it has its own set of challenges. So can you maybe dive deeper into that a little bit? Because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a unique challenge, which most people who are starting a company don't think about. They think of it as a good problem to have, but it's still a problem. Oh, it's a huge problem. And, so, yeah, yeah. and it sometimes could be crippling because yeah. you, you don't want to have an issue with a retailer who's going to not uh, take your products anymore because you can't deliver. they're selling out and you can't deliver in time, right? That's right. So what was going through your mind at that point? It, it was clear that your existing facility was not able to keep up with that demand, both through e-commerce as well as the stuff that you were sending to the true retailers. What, what was, yeah, tell me, can you walk us through what you were dealing with? Then? Well, you know, I'm kind of crazy in that I always ha- hope for the best outcome. And so we kept looking at what can we do to produce more here? And so we reevaluated our production methods, uh, got some additional equipment, kind of squeezed things in, extended our shifts, and we did a lot of creative planning just to be able to crank out more products. So, you know, back in 2014, when we first did our projections, we thought, okay, if we make 30,000 units a month in this facility, we'll break even. And that's the ma- and then we can probably get to 45,000, and that's the most we'll ever be able to make in this facility. Well, we do that in a week now. <laughs> and it's, and it's, you know, it, it uh, we, you know, and, um, I don't know how we're how we're doing it. Um, yeah. The demand's more than that, um, so we've got to move. You know, we're moving this week, actually, this week and next week, and hopefully start running equipment and and uh, get that up. But yes, you can upset retailers and distributors. You can lose valuable shelf space that you fought to get. Um, there's you know so many 
possible bad outcomes. You want to keep your distributors and your retailers as happy as possible. And so in a situation like this, and I've heard this about other companies as well, too, um, if they like you and you really work with them and communication is good and, um, you know, and, and you, they know it's temporary, mm-hmm. they kind of put up with you. And we were at the beginning of this year, I'm, I'm ashamed to say at the beginning of 2017, our fill rates, meaning the, the amount that we were filling of the orders mm-hmm. was about 55%. And in our current facility, just because we added a couple of pieces of equipment, you know, and, and just did some creative rethinking about how can we change this process so we can crank out more product. And we actually were able to do that. We actually changed some of our processes to become more efficient and better. And and, and now our fill rates um, have been, you know, more north of 75, 80%, sometimes even 100%. Wow. Um, but um, we're going to get way beyond that. Now what's going to happen is we're going to move into our new facility and now we're, we've got huge capacity there. Um, and we can grow to a sizable um, amount there. And so one run uh, is about 50 times what we're doing right now. Oh, wow. Um, so it's considerably bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we've got the flip side is that we're not going to mul- you know, we're not going to go to full c- capacity right away and it's going to be trying to f- um, now uh, create more demand. Right. And so right. We're, it, now we're going to focus on sales. Right. And so, you know, at the same time, while you are trying to ramp up and scale up to meet the demand, you have um, it. what it seemed like, at least from my perspective, every two weeks, a new brand coming out with a vegan cheese, yeah. which is great, I think, for the movement. It's, it's testament to the work that you've been doing for years. Um, and it also says that people are just starting to see the benefits of uh, eating this way and I like and like the products that are out there. So you have competition to yep. add to the fact that you, you know, you have um, you have demand from consumers who want your product. Um, so one of the key ways I'm assuming was you needed to raise another round of capital so that you could now move into a new facility um, or there was no way out of this really. Yeah, we've actually raised two rounds. So we had mm-hmm. the seed round and then we had to do about a year later we were growing so fast, we had to do a smaller Series A. And then we did a Series B earlier this year uh, where we raised $6 million. And, and that was to build out this new facility and also um, you know, leave a little bit for sales and marketing. Um, so the facility is done. You know, we spent quite a bit on that. Um, but that's really what we need to do. And, and by the way, I, I welcome all those other vegan cheese companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are... I always say collaborators in this space because we need to grow the category and not, there isn't, you know, any one player that can go at it alone. We, yeah. in order for us to replace dairy, we have to have multiple options. Yeah. And I mean, you can see it now. You walk into a grocery store and you see the cheese aisle. It, it, four years ago, oh. there was nothing like this. And uh, you now know, you have options. I was at, um, I think it was Central Market in Texas mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. And they had a whole section called vegan cheese. <laughs> this is a supermarket. I could not believe it. I think it was Central Market. I, I can't. Uh, we were in uh, several of them. You know, and and now we're finding. You know, like we used to have maybe two or three SKUs on a shelf, mm-hmm. and now we're going into stores and finding an entire shelf of our products. So yeah. the and and not just ours, but you know, there's other products as well too. So the whole mm-hmm. category is growing. It creates much more visibility for mainstream consumers, and those are the people that we want to reach. And in your uh, your Series B, which you raised, I think earlier this year yeah. was was finalized. Um, did you you were in a very different position now as a company, where I'm I'm assuming you were probably getting a lot more investor interest, a lot more traditional. Yep, absolutely. VCs are now probably yeah. looking into this space and, and seem to be investing in companies in the space. Um, what was your thinking? Because you may, obviously you could not so much about valuation, but more about um, who you wanted to partner with. Right. Um, you said the beginning was easy. People seemed to understand. Well, now you had another problem. More it, people want to give you that's money. That's right. Yeah. Well, in the very beginning, it was easy. And everyone who invested was either a vegan or interested in sustainability. You know, mm-hmm. they were friends and family. And then people like Seth Tibbet and Billy and, you know, um, other vegan investors that were that were wanting to support the space. Today, it's very, very different. I get calls all the time from VCs and uh, you know, family funds and so on, um, people who just want to get into the space. And you can sort of weed out who's really interesting and who's not. And you really have to figure out what are your core values? Why do we exist as a company? Where do we want to go? What is the impact? 
you know, we want to make. It's not just about raising money. I mean, money is easy to come by if that's all you want. But if, if what you're trying to do is create impact, then you really do have to choose your partners carefully. Um, I've had some interesting calls from fairly large funds where a principal is uh, vegan or interested in, you know, trying to make uh, an impact on the world. So I'm what I'm finding is that there are more and more people with money, investors, who just like, you know, F-A-I-R-R, mm-hmm. farm animal investment risk returns, yeah. you know, and, and people that are either in that or maybe not, but they are interested. I mean, people are beginning to see that they can change the world with their investment. And they're wanting to invest in companies that at the very core believe in the same mission. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And luckily, we're at a point where there's more options even for uh, mission-driven impact investors uh, versus a few years ago where all if you thought about VCs, you thought about them wanting to get a very quick return on investment. So in other words, they want you to scale fast and right. maybe sell your company right. so that they get their money back with, with um, a sizable return. Well, mission-based impact investors still want to get their money back because mm-hmm. obviously people are investing in it and, you know, they need, that's their job. Mm-hmm. And so... But the difference yeah. is, I guess, they yeah. want, they are aligned with your goals. So yes. they're probably more likely to understand why you make certain choices and uh, will not push you in a direction that would compromise your values. That's and, exactly and reasons right. Why you do this? Because otherwise, what's the point, really? That's that's what's the point. Yes. And you know, we're seeing increasingly um, a lot of uh, companies that are founded by for the for the same values and mm-hmm. reasons that you started yours that are now getting acquired by uh, bigger companies. What are your thoughts on um, what's happening now? Where for if you look, if you take a step back mm-hmm. and you see what's happening, it's a sign that the space is growing. Obviously, because Absolutely. you know people buy companies only because there's money to be made mm-hmm. from those companies, and or they are, they want to get into a space that they believe the future is heading in, uh, or we're heading in in the future. So, I see it as a positive sign, but mm-hmm. it is you know it's not all great because there's a flip side to it as well because you've got to balance who calls the shots and you know we have Danone who acquired White Wave now to what extent are they going to put more money into non-dairy beverages versus their existing dairy business Mm -hmm. and how do you balance what are your thoughts overall on that yeah you know I think I'm probably somewhat aligned with you Um, I think we're at a point uh, in the evolution of plant-based foods where um, money from big bigger companies, you know, whether it's Tyson putting it into Beyond Meat or Otsuka acquiring uh, Dea or whatever, um, Danone and White Wave. Um, these are actually, they, I think they do need to be seen as opportunities because what we have to do right now is to make plant-based foods as visible as possible to the mainstream consumer. And when that happens and when we continue to perform or outperform conventional foods, the investors are going to see it as having been a good investment, and they're going to put more money in plant-based, and that's going to spur on more growth. Um, eventually, those companies may decide, hey, why are we spending money on conventional animal foods? They're not growing. They're flatlining. So you know, they could create a shift, and I, I feel like we have to bet on that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we try to just grow solely through uh, you know, uh, companies that are completely aligned with us, we may not achieve the critical mass that we need to as fast as we need to. So I'm really, you know, looking for achieving that sort of uh, widespread recognition of our category as soon as possible. Um, that being said, you know, it's up to each in, each individual company to figure out which larger company they want to partner with. And, um, you know, to what degree they're going to have control. Right. I think, yeah, you have to, um, I guess it's up to each company that when they get acquired um, or they get an investment to, yeah, to what extent are they going to balance their mission and goals with the business realities of this big mothership, perhaps that's going to want to steer them in a direction that, that, that they didn't intend to go. Um Let's get back to maybe your products and and mm-hmm. what you've done in the last few years. Um, how has your product focus evolved as the space has started to evolve? Now you had to face some very real realities with scaling up production to meet the demand. 
did that in some way restrict your ability to get into new products? Um, and what have you done so far? And, and what's your thinking at the moment where, where your company is at the, at, at right now? Well, we have had limited ability to do research and development because mm -hmm. of that. But we finally put together an R&D team, um, you know. Obviously, I can't be doing all the R&D because I'm stretched in so many different ways. And we've got a couple of really great people on our team now. And we're introducing, um, well, this weekend at Expo East, um, some new products. And so our goal has always been to introduce to the world premium vegan products to show people how they can be. That, you know, you can imagine the most amazing vegan concoctions and and so we that's why we came out with the artisan cheese line to show people that you know you yeah you can have your glass of wine and you can mm -hmm. cook with it and you can do this and the other thing it's not plasticky or anything, um, but it's a premium product it it commands quite a high price and, and so our goal has always been to introduce products that uh, will be at a lower price point that will reach a wider mass of pe number of people. So we're introducing a line of products in tubs this weekend, which is really exciting. I, do you want me to tell you about yeah, them? Sure. Or, okay, yeah. so we've got a, our, li our own line of cream cheeses that are coming out mm -hmm. that are whole foods, uh, plant-based. There's no added oils in the cream cheeses at all, which is kind of nice. So it's actually a really, it's cultured. Um, you can bake with it, cook with it. Uh, I'll be demoing a uh, how to make a New York style cheesecake tomorrow with it, actually. Um, so we're doing that. And then we have pub cheese that, you know, there's no vegan pub cheese out there. So these are the kind of things that, you know, we have the artisan vegan cheeses for the wine drinker. Now we've got the pub cheeses for the beer drinker. Mm. So you can watch the Super Bowl game and dip your pretzels in that. And they are just darn addicting. So they're really, really great. Um, so we're so we're demoing those um, items. So we're, So this is a lower price point item. This is the beginning of what we call our everyday line. And we're going to continue introducing products that fit every budget. So not just for the, the premium shopper, but for people, you know, who still want something that's whole foods, cultured, uh, really delicious, but at an affordable price. Wow. A few different ways I can go in this uh, in response to that. Um, one is um, I know you also launched a cultured butter product yes. um, a while back. So do you think of yourself as a cheese company or a non dairy yes. foods company. Yeah, a non-dairy foods company. So okay. cheese is actually more than that. As, mm -hmm. as a vegan lifestyle company, what we're really trying to do is is sell this lifestyle, mm -hmm. sell compassionate eating. I know it sounds crazy, but we're really, really proud of that. And we are going boldly into the future with this message of how you can just overhaul your entire eating pattern mm -hmm. um, and not suffer any sort of deprivation whatsoever um, to your taste buds. So... Um, Yes, we're starting out with the dairy section, replacing everything we can possibly find in it. And you'll see more and more dairy, um, new dairy. We call ourselves the new creamery. Mm. And we'll be reinventing that entire category with plant-based alternatives. Um, but we've got uh, eyes on plans to grow beyond that as well, too. Yeah, I find it really fascinating that you're in the... You've already got a bit of a foothold in the cheese space with what you do. And as I pointed earlier, pointed out earlier, cheese is still incredibly popular in this yes. country. Um, and what's happening in the cheese industry is they're starting to expand beyond just, you know, your sliced cheeses and your cream right. cheeses. Um, as millennials you know, right. come in and want more convenience and snacks, I'm starting to see a lot more expansion happening in that category tied into cheese in some ways. You mean snacks? Yeah, snacks, snacks that are yeah. very cheese-based snacks yeah. um, um, that are convenient, portable, on-the-go okay, things we... that people can do. It. You are able to now do that but offer a non-dairy alternative or a vegan alternative, which I think, and I think most people increasingly are starting to realize, is a better option. So when they're presented with the, right. the new, hot new cheese snacking option and there's a vegan version of it that tastes the same or probably better, um, I think they're going to go for the vegan one. Well, a lot of people are. And, and mm -hmm. it's really, really funny because, you know, I, I run into people all the time who say that um, they went to someone's house and it was a non-vegan's house and they open up the refrigerator and there's, you know, a wheel of Miyoko's in there or whatever. <laughs> Um, and, and a lot of people are telling me that, that they'll serve our cheese alongside other dairy cheeses and people go for ours before the others. Um, so it's, I think people are finding that the health benefits, um, the flavor, it's got a cleaner flavor profile. It doesn't have something that kind of lingers in the back mm. of your throat and 
you know, I, it's not just vegans. It's really about, it's paleo, first of all. So if yeah. you're, and that's a huge movement. Um, and then, you know, just a cleaner flavor. You, you're left feeling better afterwards. You don't feel heavy and sick and tired. Um, and I think people are responding to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the same reason I think that people started to shift to almond milk and yes. other non-dairy beverages. Absolutely. It just tasted better. It tasted better. Oh, yeah. 6% of the population saying they're vegan or vegetarian, but 36% of the population buys non-dairy milks. Yeah. So, you know, that's really, I think, what we're experiencing in the vegan cheese category and why that's skyrocketing. We certainly can't attribute it entirely to the vegan population. Right, definitely. And I think, you know, so you can, if, if you're any smart person sees what's happening right now, it's very clearly going to bleed into the other categories of, yes. of dairy, whether it is cheeses or ice creams, and mm-hmm. it's starting to happen already. Oh yogurts yeah, and uh, well, look at Ben and Jerry's. I mean, everyone's getting into the the vegan mm-hmm. ice cream game, right? Yeah. And who was the other one? I just uh, some big ice cream producer just started. They just rolled out a vegan ice cream line. Oh, okay. And they wouldn't be doing it if they there wasn't a market for it. Right. So. Obviously, you know, or what about the dairy company, like the Elmhurst uh, in New York? Yeah, you know? a dairy farm turning dairy, yeah. in, now offering... Macadamia uh, milk. Macadamia yeah. milk, right. Um, no, so we're in a very interesting yeah. time. And I think another point I don't want to forget that you brought up in your new product, um, um, which you said is in pubs as, as your everyday product line, is you mentioned, and I didn't, you know, you didn't go into the details of it, but that the, that it doesn't have any added... Oils and yes. it's a whole food product and it's a cultured whole our cream food, cheeses, yeah. Which yeah. I find, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people lately about how that is a real big trend coming up. People don't want additives in their products to the extent that it's not needed, and they're looking for cleaner, simpler options. What was your reasons for, for sort of finding um, ingredient? mix that tasted great, but it was based on whole foods. What was your driver for it? Well, that, that's our philosophy is all mm-hmm. of our food, everything that we, every product that we ever come out with from now on until eternity will be whole foods based. We're never going to be replicating something with just oils and starches and, and that sort of things. Uh, you know, some products may have oil in it, but mm-hmm. that's not going to be the main ingredient. Um, it, it, it might be something just to sort of add a little bit of mouthfeel or something. But, you know, we really do believe that just I think the consumer today, millennials and, and just consumers today are getting wiser. They want more slow food. They want more real food, whether they're vegan or not. You know, in the non-vegan movement, they're going more. For, I think that's why specialty cheeses are rising because mm-hmm. people are tired of slices and shreds. They want real cheese. And likewise, in the plant-based community, people want real food. Um because it makes you feel better, mm-hmm. even if, you know, and if it tastes good, then, you know, all that much better. Yeah. And with a little effort, you can yeah. come up with packaged products that deliver on the taste as yes. well as on the fact that they don't use any of these additives, so preservatives and right. uh, gums and gels that right, you probably right. don't need in a, yeah. in a product. So I, I think that's a good trend. So. If you could, you know, without obviously mm-hmm. revealing your entire plan for the next few years, um, it's, if I could sum it up a little bit, you've had your artisan cheeses, which you were focused on even before um, artisan cheeses in general became more popular in the country, vegan or otherwise. And you were doing that even before it now is like more people are shifting in that direction, starting to try bolder flavors for cheese. So that was your first line. You've now got products that are part of your everyday line. The price point is lower. Where do you see this going next? You have so many, you know, we kind of touched on some of them. There's so many directions you can take your product line, with, especially given you have this new facility. Right. Um, it seems like you have a whole world of opportunities out there. Where, what are you we looking do. at? Okay, well, you know, we do have some, you're talking about snacks and portable foods. So mm-hmm. we do have a portable uh, product that I can't really talk about, <laughs> but it'll be whole food space and really traditional in format. Nice. It's a very exciting product, <laughs> and it'll be great for kids for lunch boxes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are going to hopefully be able to roll that out in a couple of years. Um, we've also um, are going to keep our Fairfax facility, and we, we you know, we on our our online e-commerce site, we do a lot of limited edition products to kind of test market and mm-hmm. see how people like things. So we introduced a blue cheese where we actually use penicillin Roquefort tea, the the mold. Right. And it was a very rudimentary um, 
uh, effort to do this, but it, the product, we announced it, and it sold out within, like, minutes. Um, and people were clamoring for more. So we are actually going to introduce another artisan line, which will be um, a, a, probably a blue cheese, a real blue cheese with real blue mold grown in it. Um, so that, so, you know, we've got opposite ends of the spectrum. We, spectrum. We've got the really high-end stuff plus a real snacky product that we're going to come up with. Uh, in the future, we've got some frozen food products that we're also thinking about that will be very cheesy. Oh. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of uh, growth that we're planning on. We yeah. have we have products planned for the next three or four years. Yeah, already. because you know, che- once yeah. you've conquered how to do cheese, uh, conquered probably is the wrong mm-hmm. word, mastered how to do cheese um, without using mm-hmm. dairy, you can then put that in literally any product. And That's I know what, some yeah. companies are doing entrees and prepared mm-hmm. foods. For example, you can you know once you've you've got that core figured out. Um, you can take it in any direction That's you choose right. to, as long as you you do it in a in a step by step scale in a in a way that you can then produce something consistent and then distribute it to to the places that it'll sell the most. Um, but you know, coming back to the state of the overall market right now, so the vegan cheese space. If you just look at vegan cheeses to begin with, and I'm very excited about your future plans, but let's keep it to where things are right mm-hmm. now. Um, and you look around at the companies that are, many have introduced products similar to um, to what you first came out with. In fact, in New York City, there's an entire shop dedicated to. I've been there, cheese. Riverdale, right? Yeah, yeah I've great. been there. Yeah, very, very exciting. Yeah. And every time I go in there, I see a brand I've never heard of. Oh, I Most, know. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Most of them are small right now, yeah. getting started off. But they've kind of, um, you know, I, th- I think of you as the queen of vegan cheese. Oh, you, thank you were you. the one who came up with some of this before I'd even heard of it. You were, the, you were the first artisan vegan cheese I tried. So, from a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm still very biased to your cheeses. Um, but look at the space right now, and others are undoubtedly going to come up with products that are similar quality, mm-hmm. taste, ingredient profiles. Um, how do you plan to continue to stand out? And what do you think it is about? So it's a twofold question. One about your product mm-hmm. itself and products down the line. And second about your brand. Um, what do you think about the two things makes Miyoko's unique versus anything that is out there now? And that undoubtedly will come in the years ahead. Right. And, and you know, I welcome that. And, and we need all of those brands. We need more and more. Um, but, you know, we did get a head start. And so we've got the scalability portion now, especially with our new plant. Um, we want to step, keep one step ahead of the game. We're playing around with other substrates. A lot of these, these companies that are coming out are still nut-based. They're basing it on cashews or whatever. And, and one thing that – one criticism of the – the 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 uh, the non dairy beverage industry by mainstream media and I take you know I I don't agree with this at all is well it's not a, the nutritional equivalent of dairy mm-hmm. and people are looking for things with protein or you know or calcium or whatever and and the fact of the matter is you know cashew based cheeses aren't the equivalent of dairy on the other hand they don't have pus and hormones and pesticides and you know all sorts of other things that we don't want in it either. Um, but there is this American focus on protein that I'm not sure we're going to be able to solve in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, you know, it stem from animal agriculture to sell that, you know, pro- the whole macronutrient myth mm-hmm. was started. Um, but I think it, in order to get more mainstream people to, to eat vegan cheese, I think we need to produce some that actually do have a higher nutritional profile. So, so more calcium, maybe more protein, maybe some, some other, you know, omega-3s or whatever. So we're working on products now that are made from different substrates that are still whole foods, that are still cultured, that have more of a nutritional um, profile that's similar to um, dairy without all the bad stuff. Well, and I think that makes more sense for some of the everyday products that yes. you do come up with, because that's the category where people tend to look for things like that. And I'm, right. I'm with you in... Th- in Sort of disagreeing that that's really a criticism of uh, that we shouldn't be criticizing no, plant-based right. products for that because I'm I'm not even sure most consumers when they buy it really depends on how they're using right. non-dairy beverages are looking at the protein. I content. don't think they are either. But but if a mother is going to be buying cheese for their right. kid, they're going to be thinking, well, how am I going to repl- you know I want I want to go vegan, but how am I going to replace mm-hmm. the calcium and the protein? 
then I want to be able to provide that alternative. Yeah. So that that's one thing that we're working on right now is, is providing, you know, that will be part of our everyday cheese line. Good. And yeah. it, so that's in terms of products. In yeah. terms of your brand, what makes, um, I can guess what I think makes you different and you can agree with me or disagree. I think what makes, this is my take mm -hmm. on it, I think what makes your brand very different is that, is you. <laughs> you have your story. You have the story of your company is your story. It's the story of someone who learned how to make vegan cheese before most people knew how to do it and who did it in a way that proved that it could taste the same or even better than anything else was out there that was made with dairy. Um, and that kind of sets you apart in in a lot of ways. Not to say others won't come along and have that story, but you you still you know you that is your authentic story of the start of the company in terms of how you approach even your brand right now so firstly if you agree i think that you you keep you stay the you're still the the face the name the the real brand core value and mission behind the story and maybe if you can tell me a little bit more about what you believe um in and why you believe vegan food needs to be unapologetically vegan in some ways. Okay. Well, th well, first of all, thank you for the high compliment. So, <laughs> yes. So unapologetically vegan. That is really, uh, you know, th there's a huge discussion today uh, in the marketplace about, well, should we call it plant-based or should we call it vegan? And many, many companies are calling their products plant-based now. They're shying away from the word vegan. Now, there's a few reasons as to why we are going to stick with the word vegan. Uh, but we're going to blow up the word vegan and we're going to make it as proud and bold and as, uh, you know, as the gold standard that people are going to want to strive for. And the reason for that, there's several reasons. One is that if you look anywhere else in the world, if you go to Europe or Japan or, or China, people are using words, they're actually using vegan. If you say I'm plant-based, they don't really know what you're talking about. Um, you go to Italy, there's a little slogan called Vegan OK, and you'll find a little a decal on store windows or restaurant windows, and it means they have vegan options. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is sort of the accepted nomenclature um, in many other parts of the world besides the United States and maybe the UK. So there's that. Um, but basically, the idea of vegan goes way beyond plant-based in terms of the mission of what the human potential can be. You know, we as humans have to evolve to become better humans, to go beyond all of the isms that we've you know, had in the past, racism and, and, and so on. And, and now we have to rise above speciesism. And this is the opportunity. Veganism is about that. Veganism is about saving the world. I know it sounds crazy, but, but that's really the original intent of, of why these products have to take a foothold in, in the world as soon as possible. Um, we have to provide legitimate, exciting alternatives to people. And when we people choose to call uh, something plant-based, I believe it's acting out of a place of fear. And it's acting by looking at the past uh, history, the stigma that's been attached to the word vegan up until now, all the crazy animal rights activists, the hippies, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that was what we thought about gay marriage, too, 10 years ago. And look what happened now. I really do believe, you, you mentioned just in three years, things have changed so much. I really believe in 10 years, things are going to change even more mm -hmm. uh, in, in this arena. And so we go proudly into the future. We have a new slogan. We've got tattoos. and uh, Temporary tattoos are given out at, at Expo East. Um, and our new slogan is phenomenally vegan. Mm -hmm. And we are going to sing that out uh, proud from the mountaintop and show people what this can be. The world doesn't know what it can be yet, which is why they're afraid of it. But we are going to turn that word around. Um, and we're going to march at the front of the parade and um, just shout it from every mountaintop. You know, I, I love that. I think it's at the end of the day, you're right in pointing out that most people recognize the word vegan. And so there's two aspects to this. And I love that you mentioned that it, using plant-based sometimes is out of fear. And if if you're using it, I can see certain contexts where people may want to use it because it may turn people away. But again, it's, again, coming from that place of fear because it also depends on who the end audience is or who the end consumer is. And I think maybe what was true five years ago is not true anymore, where the 
It's changing so yeah, fast. Yeah, even vegan food or the word vegan and the vegan message was was being spread or communicated by, as you pointed out, animal rights groups or um, activists. And I think now that message is being controlled by anyone, uh, especially been driven by food brands. Yes, and if an excellent food brand sings mm-hmm. that message, then it becomes a thing. You know, just think about Apple. You know, Apple had a lot of challenges. No one wanted a white computer. Mm-hmm. in the very beginning. And Steve Jobs said, well, how do they know they don't want it? They've never seen it. <laughs> and you know, that's what I say about vegan foods. How do, they, how do people know they don't want it if they've never had a really great vegan cheese right. or vegan whatever? And so you know, same thing with almond milk or soy milk. All these things were kind of things people laughed at mm. 20 years ago. Yeah. I know. And we're changing the game now. And I think uh, younger people get it. They understand the word. They use it. They're not afraid of it. Um, I think, yeah, it's a generational thing. You, you, the, the older people you meet, they may be, uh, I, the way I like to compare it is they, uh, they think of it as, as an identity. They, they feel like I don't wear that vegan label, so I'm not going to buy that product. But I think that's sort of going away. It and is. it goes away by efforts like what you're that's doing. That's right. And if we don't, if we all just give up, just you know, hang it up and just start calling things plant-based, it'll, that, that's the end of that. And if anything, using the word vegan sparks a, a, a larger question. That's as in, exactly What does that right. mean? What does it entail? And maybe food's a starting point, and then it hopefully can change your entire worldview. I know it happened to me only ten, uh, seven years ago, but if it could happen to me, I think it can happen to anyone. Exactly. Was, you're exactly I right. I was the opposite of a vegan. <laughs> well, you were, but you were a pre-vegan, and that's <laughs> the way I look at the world. Everyone's a pre-vegan. <laughs> that's a good so. way of looking at it. Um, yeah, you know, I would, I love that. I I like that you are, um, you've you've stuck to what you've believed in um, over the years through the ups and downs. And I'm so, in fact, happy that you decided to come back and start a vegan cheese company even before people thought that was a thing and probably laughed when they first heard of it. Most n- people who are not vegan probably laughed when they first heard of it. Vegan cheese, that's. That's gross. Um, but that's not the case anymore. And uh, it's proof in terms of the products that you've put out there, but also the amazing uh, new products that have come about by so many other new companies that have uh, seemed to come out of nowhere every few weeks. Um, but I'd love... Well, 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 I just want to say one more thing, sure. which is that, you know, I think in this country, people don't like wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. People want you to take a stand and own it. I mean, that's really, you know, that's how you command attention is by letting your convictions be known. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, these are, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. You know, I'm not getting younger. So I, at this point in my life, I got to let people know what I stand for. Yeah. And also you stand behind your product too. You know your product is good enough where you don't need to hide behind some watered down label of it. That's right. Try it. If you don't think it's good, don't eat it. It doesn't matter whether someone had called it vegan, plant-based, it or doesn't matter. devoid it, of dairy. Make a decision based on taste alone. Right. And what you decide to call it should be yeah. secondary. But then, you know, of course it matters. And I think uh, if, as you pointed out, for the reasons why you're doing right. it, you're taking a stand. And I think um, um, it would be great if more companies did that. I think it's a it's a great way to be. Um, keeping that in mind, um, in terms of more companies and, uh, other potential entrepreneurs that may be, or future entrepreneurs or pre-vegans or vegans who are listening to this right now, um, and thinking, you know, I am a, I think of myself as a talented chef. Here's me being the person who's listening to this. Mm -hmm. Um, they maybe perhaps have a, a product that they make at home. Um, they perhaps even do cooking classes, maybe their friends and their family mm-hmm. love the stuff that they do. And they're thinking, well, maybe I could um, I could start a food company too. Um, given all your years of experience, mm-hmm. both with this company as well as your previous experience with uh, your restaurants um, and your businesses before, what advice would you give um, an under- entrepreneur or wannabe entrepreneur who's planning to make that leap? Oh, okay. I mean, that's a that's a long <laughs> list there. So, but you know, first of all, uh, um, I would say start. I would say crawl, and mm-hmm. so figure out what what's your product. What I find a lot of times when I talk to entrepreneurs is they don't really know what their product is. I know it sounds crazy, but they think it's some you know bar or something like that. And you start talking to them about it, and 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 you have to think about 
can that bar become a full company and how are you going to grow it? You know, mm -hmm. unless it's like a Coca-Cola or something where it's, a, it just takes one thing to, but is it, you know, a lot of people don't realize what it is they're really making mm -hmm. uh, they haven't really defined it. So you really need to know what it is you're making like, and, and how can that product line grow over the years? Um, uh, and then, you know, do you like that lifestyle? I mean, do you want to be, um, you know, what, what sort of lifestyle do you really want? It's not just about getting your product to market, but like, how do you want to get to market? Or do you see yourself as the farmer's market type of person? Mm -hmm. Or do you see yourself running, you know, a multi-million dollar corporation? I mean, really, at what point are you going to not be comfortable anymore? So I think it's really, people really need to do a lot of soul analysis of their soul, of who they really, really are. Um, it's not just about the product itself. Um, but that being said, if you've got an idea, if you've got any kind of product, um, please, by all means, uh, just do it because we need you. We need, and also because if you don't pursue it, at some point you're going to look back on your life and say, "Why didn't I give this a shot?" Mm -hmm. That's you summed it up really well. Those are three really important things that I think any entrepreneur, irrespective of whether the food space or not, should be thinking about. Um, I love that you pointed out what is the product and. Because sometimes you can maybe just have, I, I kind of compare it to the tech space. My background is online media and tech. And you'd have a lot of people who had came up with apps and said, well, I have a company and I'm going to raise money. No, you have an app. How right, is that right. going to scale unless your app was Instagram, which is right, an exception. Right. That's right. It's an exception. Yeah. Right. right. You're not going to be able to turn that into a real business and a, and a company that's going to attract uh, investment and perhaps right. generate revenue in the wrong, long run. Um, and also, who do you want to be, really? I think right. most people look at others and think, maybe I want to be that. But it's it's not all uh, fun. No, uh, you got to do some soul searching and really to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. years ago, perhaps if you had not decided you wanted to start a company, raise capital, and then expand and grow, you wouldn't have to then deal with the challenges of, of uh, facing production issues and right. rising demand. Right. And maybe you would have been better off selling uh, your cheese at a farmer's market in uh, Marin County, uh, which is great. <laughs> right. But if that's what you want to do, right. and I think most people don't ask themselves that. Right. They don't. Yeah. They just kind of let it kind of go with the flow. And then, you know, they they don't make money or they, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And also at the end of the day, do do it. Do whatever it is that you just think you do want it. to do. I mean, I, I, that's the one good thing that came out of Nike <laughs> yeah, is that true. slogan. Just do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, it's it's. Yeah, overthinking it is, yeah. is never a good yeah. idea. So yeah. do your soul searching, identify yeah. the product, and then if you're overthinking it, just go just, ahead and yeah. try it and fail maybe. That's right. I mean, I've, I've failed so many times. In fact, you know, most entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. they have to fail before they can succeed. And that's really part of the experience. I agree. I think it's, um, yeah, because you couldn't have now, in where you are right now, even facing the challenges that you perhaps have faced in the last three years, whether good problems or bad mm -hmm. problems, you had a lot more experience to draw on and you probably didn't freak out the moment you realized you couldn't fill those orders. No, no. If I hadn't had my companies before, I wouldn't know what to do right now. Wow. I, I would be completely lost. But the fact that, you know, I flopped on my face so many times in the past trying to get companies up and running mm -hmm. um, really, really wow. prepared me for this. And so now when you look around, you've been in this space um for many years now and you still actively in the game leading the way when it comes to vegan cheese at the moment when you look around what what are your thoughts on the plant-based food space overall where it stands at the moment um besides the categories that we were talking about obviously what are you most excited about um, well i'm i'm excited about the growth compared to conventional dairy according to spins and other market research companies i mean it's a really fast growing category uh, we're outpacing conventional, you know, we're seeing declines in meat and dairy sales, but we're seeing spikes in uh, in, in all of the, the plant-based uh, arena, uh, particularly vegan cheese. That's the fastest growing right now. Um, there's a, a, you know, you can go to a spins report on all cheese and all cheese, which is cheese and non-dairy cheese. And in the top, uh, out of, you know, several hundred brands, You'll you'll find three or four vegan cheeses in the top fifteen or so. Wow! I mean, this is something that you wouldn't have seen ten years ago. Yeah. So it's really, really quite remarkable. Um, I'm just really excited by the growth. I'm excited every time I go somewhere and someone says, "Oh, you're that Miyoko, right?" 
And it's someone that, you know, I, it's not a vegan or anything. It's just at a party and, and they just happen to know the cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and I tell them I'm a cheese maker and they go, oh, you're, you really? You know, it's kind of, it's kind, it's really exciting that yeah. we are, it's n- not about me or anything in particular, but just that this whole space is growing. It's blowing up. It's on, people are hearing about it all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it is, we're in an interesting time and you pointed out the pace at which this growth is happening is, it's nothing we could have ever imagined. Even a few years ago when I first met you in person, um, half of these companies that are around now didn't even exist. No, they didn't exist. No. And uh, this, the amazing... And they're here at the show, <laughs> right which is here. really great. We, we yeah. happen to be in Baltimore yeah. right now at Expo East. But, um, you know, so I think the... I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future, and as, as so are you. And I think the reason to be optimistic is because um, we are the ones hopefully shaping that future. Right. And if more and more people join in and do whatever it is that they can, whether it's make a vegan cheese or any other product or any service that they can offer that's adding to this um, new movement of companies and people and services and products. We then have some hope, you know, going back to your earlier, your first point about the mission and the reason why you you came back uh, into the food space, we hopefully have a chance to to change the course of, of history, at least the history or in terms of the direction we're heading in right now. Absolutely. It's absolutely critical. And we need more people to do that, to join the, the, the fold. And, and it's a force. You know, we all have to hold hands and walk boldly into the bright new future that we're creating. So speaking of the future, yeah. if the work that you're doing and the mission that you set out to have with uh, vegan food and uh, with your new company and with what's happening in the plant-based and vegan food space overall, if that future, if that work becomes succeeds the way you hope it to succeed, and if the and you, and if you could envision um, a food system thirty years from now, say the year twenty fifty, what kind of a food system would you like to see <laughs> when um, you know? Um, Phenomenally vegan is right. is not something to that only vegans wear as their temporary tattoos. Right, 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 right. Uh, what's paint me a picture of yeah. your ideal world in twenty fifty, given all the work we're doing and you're doing, especially. Uh, you know, I I think I really do believe this is crazy, but in thirty years, I really do believe that the majority of the food system will be plant based. Um, you know, we there's so many exciting things going on. The whole cultured meat thing. I know, you know, a lot of people have the hardcore vegans have an issue with it. But, you know, there, the, there's a, a percentage of people in the population, they really just don't care where the food comes from. Yeah. There's also um, a need to uh, reach people in food deserts and, mm-hmm. and people that are just disadvantaged. I mean, there's a huge, huge movement towards, you know, regenerative agriculture and humane meat. But, you know, we've got to realize that that feeds a very small percentage of the population. Uh, you know, if we've got 100 million cows in the world and you can only have one cow for seven acres to sequester the carbon. That means we need 700 million acres if we, you know, adopt this humane free-range cow method to feed the world. That's just, the land, there isn't enough land for that. So it, it, from a, a just a resource perspective, the, the world has to go plant-based. And, it, it, you know, I don't necessarily believe that people will never give up meat. I think they will eventually. But in the meantime, we need these transitional foods. So I think it's really exciting that there's a lot of development in that arena. Um, you know, obviously, plant-based milks have succeeded, and they're going to continue doing that. So across the board, we're going to be able to whittle away at animal foods um, and replace them with really exciting, viable uh, alternatives. Wow, that's um. I I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're off at all. I think that's the future. Yeah. We are probably headed word and i think we are creating it right now um and you know 30 years is a long time look at how much has happened in the last three oh, years it's exciting yeah i know i don't think it's going to be 30 years i think it's <laughs> going to be more like 10 or 15 so yeah and i like what yeah. you pointed out yeah. about um you know the um, as good as regenerative agriculture may be and as um is the question really is what problem are you solving with it if you're are you trying to solve the problem of feeding some people in some parts of this country, or are you talking about feeding the world? And, we need to feed the world. And and I guess vegan is the way to feed the world. That's right. 
Thank you, Miyoko. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And uh, I look forward to um, staying in touch and watching the amazing, your journey as an entrepreneur evolving in the years ahead so that we reach that point, as you pointed out, much sooner than 30 years uh, where we have a predominantly vegan world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.